Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message and our current In the Word series as we journey through the book of Colossians. Let's take a listen. Here's what I want you to hear before we go any further. You do understand that building your church does not start in this building. Building your church, building his church starts in the home. If the home is healthy, the church is healthy. And so what God wants to do is he wants to build his church beginning in all of our homes. And if you're anything like me, when we finish today, you're gonna see all of the gaping holes that are in our homes and how we all fall short. But that's what I love about the word of God, that it cuts coming and going. And so my prayer has been today that it cuts you as deep as it's cut me all week. Okay, so, but we're gonna start out by just looking at and talking about this, talking about the family. I read an article this week that talks about we know an artist by their greatest masterpiece. The same is true about God. When we look in Genesis chapter one, we see all of the creation account. When you read in Romans chapter one, it says that if we've seen the creation, we're without excuse because God is the artist and therefore he has created the masterpiece of creation that we look around. But also don't forget this. The other masterpiece that God has created is the family. God has created the family to be a masterpiece because when a family operates the way God has designed it to operate, it reflects God. It reflects his love It reflects his forgiveness. It reflects all the characteristics when a family operates the way that God has designed it to operate. But if God is the creator, if God has designed it, then we also know that there's someone else who's not happy. Whatever God creates, the enemy wants to destroy. And so I want you to hear me when I say this. I, have, I don't know that I've ever been more burdened about a message than I have this week because what I know is the enemy is at work and he's wanting to destroy your home. Look, what been, what's been going on around here is nothing short of a miracle of what we've been seeing every single week. But I can also say that I've been in more conversations and in more prayer because of families that are at each other, families that are being torn apart because the enemy's at work, because the enemy's at work. So what we gotta do before we go any further is recognize the enemy. Your enemy's not your spouse, your enemy's not your child. The enemy's the devil. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And so what we're gonna look at today is how do we protect that unity? How do we protect what God has created? And so he's not only created it, but he's laid out how it's to function. So before we go any further, 
I didn't write this, okay? So before you get mad at me, I had nothing to do with this. I'm just a messenger, okay? So we'll go ahead and clear that slate. Colossians chapter three, verses 18 through 21, and you're really about to find out why I don't like Jason or Jared. I'm just kidding, I love them to death. Verse 18, wives, you see if I didn't change my voice, wives, be subject or submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. All things is very important. We're gonna land there at the end of today. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. You see, this passage is one that we, we often laugh about and we often joke about what verse 18 says. When we hear that woman, women, wives, be subject to your husband, so many times that causes the man's chest to swell. Say, so you dang right. She better submit. It says it in the Bible, right? That's how we act. But what's so interesting is that is exactly the culture that this context was trying to implement into the homes. You see, in light of that, what we see is the Jews, the Jews, it was a law that a woman was considered a thing. It was a law that a woman was considered a possession that had no legal right. So that was the Jewish culture and the Greeks weren't much better. The Greeks told the women that they could never appear alone that they always had to be accompanied by their husband. Here's another interesting fact about the Greeks is that the women was, had to be solely committed to the husband, but the husband could have as many relationships as he wanted. And so we see that what was being taught in that culture is that the men were above and the women were below that the men were here and the women were down here. But what we love about Jesus's teachings is Jesus's teaching turns everything upside down. And what you're gonna see today is even our perspective, my prayer has been, is that Jesus is gonna turn all of our thoughts upside down as men today. Because I know the way that verse starts out, wives be subject to your husbands. We're talking very little to the women today because God has called us men Husbands to be the head and to be the leader in our home. And so that's where we're gonna spend a lot of time today. But, but here's what I love. Religion has taught that women, and I'm talking about religion as far as the Jews and the Greeks, religion had taught that the women were supposed to obey the man. But what the gospel taught is that men and women alike are supposed to obey God. And that's exactly what we read in Acts chapter five, verse 29. And I want you to keep that in kind of in the back of your mind because there's where we read in the scripture, it says that we're to always obey God rather than man. And so I know that there's a lot of things that we hear that the women are supposed to do, that the, the children are supposed to do. But remember this letter's to believers, right? This letter is to followers of Christ. So therefore we're trusting that the man, the husband, 
is never gonna lead a wife or a child to sin. But understanding if they do, that our first call to obedience is to be obedient to God rather than man. But men, we're not to lead our husbands or our children to sin. And so that's what we're gonna kind of unpack today. But what I love about, there's something that Brandon always prays and or he says from, from the stage that he always says that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that is exactly what Jesus' teachings are helping us to understand in this passage. That the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no man, there is no woman, but we are all called by God to be obedient to him. And in that obedience, in that obedience comes responsibility. You see, God orchestrated the family. He designed the family. But within that family, God created positions. It's just like a baseball team. It's just like a basketball team. It's just like a football team. The team has one goal in mind, and that's to be victorious. But thank God that every player on the basketball team are not point guards. Five, seven ain't gonna get you a whole lot, right? And so we understand that a coach's job is to place the position players where they are supposed to play, where they are designed to play in order to make the team victorious, in order for the team to win. And so that's exactly what Paul is wanting us to understand is that the positions, we're all a part of the same team. We all gotta recognize that today. If you are a part of a family, you are part of a team. You are part of a unit that has been called to make the name of Jesus famous. You have been called to reflect who he is by the way your family operates. But you know, in this idea of equality with God that we're all created, we're all on the level playing field here, but we still have to understand and recognize our positions. But what you love about Paul is he doesn't leave any room to leave anybody out. He addresses all three areas of the family. He talks to the wives. He says, wives be subject. Wives submit to your husbands. Children obey. But then where he lands, husbands love. Husbands love. What I found interesting in studying this text is that he gave us specific instructions, one to the child, he gave one to the wife, but he gave three to the husband. He gave three different instructions on for the husband what to do and what not to do. So the reality is, and there's no way of escaping this. Man, I want you to hear me when I tell you this. God has called you to lead. It's not your wife's job to lead. God has called and ordained you to be the leader of your home. It's pretty clear. But here's what I want you to hear in that. I wanna share some statistics. And it's amazing how you would think God kind of knew what he was doing, wouldn't you? Listen to these statistics that were found, Lifeway Research in 2016. I want you to see why God has placed the husband to be the head of the household. 
I want you to see why God has placed us to lead the home. We would even venture to say, and I don't know, I know we don't like this word, but some would even be led to believe or say that God has placed the man in authority of the home. Now, I know you're going before women, before you turn your nose up and before men, you swell your chest up. I want you to hear, we've lost the context of what authority looks like and what authority means. And I'm gonna share that in just a moment. But here's some statistics. If the father doesn't go to church, only 2% of children will become regular church attenders as adults. If the father doesn't go to church, only 2% of children will be actively involved in their church. If the father does go, regardless of the mom going or not going, but if the dad goes, between 65 or 67 and 75% of the children will be in church as adults. Do you see the drastic difference? 2% no dad, 67 to 75% with dad. You see who's leading? You see who's called to lead? If the mother attends and the father does not, only 33% of those children will be actively involved in church as adults. Now here's something that's kind of for free that I never even thought about this, but here's why we push you to be a part of a small group, to be connected in a community. When both the mom and dad both attend small groups together, 72% of children will be a part of a small group as an adult. If moms and dads are in small group together, 72% of those children will grow up in small groups and be in small groups as adults. So we see exactly why God has ordained it for the man to lead. I didn't create those stats. That's just something that is supernaturally by coincidence happened. As the family goes, the man leads. So I think we could say that, that God has given the authority to the man. But I know that word authority, it kind of brings some friction. But what I want you to understand is we've lost the concept of what authority means. Authority is not something where we stand around and we slam our hands on the desk and we instruct people on what to do. That's not authority. I read it in a commentary this week and I want you to hear this. This was eye-opening to me. And this will help us better to understand what authority and why God designed authority the way he designed it. I read in a commentary this week and I just quoted it. I don't remember what commentary it was from, but listen to what it says. Anytime God grants authority, it's always for the blessing and the protection for those under the authority not quite how we remember authority being taught. Let me read it one more time. Anytime God grants authority, it's always for the blessing and the protection of those under the authority. It's never for one to take advantage of that authority. So men, God has placed you to be the authoritative figure in your home not for your ego, not for you to be the manly of man, not for you to be the boss, 
But God has placed you in authority for the blessing and the protection of your home. He has called you to protect. He has called you to fight. And he's placed you in authority for the blessing and the protection of your family and your children. So men, God's entrusted us to lead. Now, I know some of you are going, okay, here's that Father's Day message. You know, because usually Father's Day is the day we get beat up. No, that's today, whatever today is. I had guys coming by in the first service saying, thank you for the black eye. I said, well, praise God, I got two of them and a busted lip. But God has called us to lead. So you may ask the question this as a man. Okay, Brian, I understand. God's called me to lead. God's called me to protect. God's called, I get all that. But Brian, where do I start? Where do I start leading my home? How do I start leading my home? The only way you will lead your home the way God has designed you to lead your home is to first learn to follow Jesus. You may be thinking, man, I can't lead my home. I can't do this. I would ask you to step out on faith and ask the Lord, say, God, am I truly surrendered to following you? Because there's no doubt in my mind that there's men in this room right now that aren't following Jesus, that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're scratching your head going, I can't understand why I can't lead my wife, why I can't lead my children. Well, I can tell you why you can't lead your wife and why you can't lead your children, because you aren't following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that it's gonna be easy. I'm not saying that once you learn to follow Jesus that everything's gonna go perfect. No, that's not the case but that's where it has to start. You can't lead your family until you first learn to follow him. You must first learn to follow him. So you say, okay, well, how, how do I lead? You follow him, but then it is very clear how you begin leading your home. Verse 19. Husband, love your wife. Okay, Brian, what else? That's it. You lead your home by loving your wife. Paul goes into a little more detail in Ephesians chapter five. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for the church. So he goes into a little more detail of what he's teaching in this scripture here. So I want you to think about that for just a moment, man. Men, man, whatever. I want you to think about that for just a minute. What if we read this and, and, and applied it to us because remember, this letter's to followers. This letter is to, to men who have trusted Jesus for their salvation. So they understand this gospel love. They understand this forgiveness. They understand the grace. They understand the mercy. And so what Jesus, what Paul is challenges to do through the scriptures is he's saying, look, what if it read like this? You love your wife the way that Jesus loves you. You love your wife the way Jesus loves you. 
And the way that he loves you is exactly what it said. It said he laid down his life. Now look, I know there's not a man in this room that would not be man enough that I would say, hey, how many of you would lay down your life for your wife? Every man, yeah, I'd die for her. I'd die for her. Man, that's admirable. That's great. But the question is, that's great that you would die for her, but will you live for her? Because we can pound ourselves on the chest and say, yeah, I would die for my wife, but we're not living for him. But you see, that's what Jesus did. When it said that Jesus laid down his life for the church, it wasn't limited to dying on a cross. He exhausted himself for 33 years of loving and serving and healing people. Husbands, when's the last time you've exhausted yourself loving your family? When's the last time you've exhausted yourself praying for your family? Because the reality is, We can only love this way when we understand the way he loves us. And you know how you do that? You get in the word. This is how you learn how Jesus loved. It's not some equation. It's not some check the boxes, but you wanna learn how Jesus loves you. You get into the word of God and you reflect and you say, God, am I loving my wife the way that you love me? Yeah, God, I die for her. But you know what I've realized? I'm not doing a very good job living for her. I'm not doing a very good job living for her. But you know, Jesus lived to serve everyone. That was just who he was. And I wanna take just a small example. And it's kind of lighthearted, it's kind of comical. But I guarantee you as a husband, if I was loving my wife the way that Christ loves me, my arrival home in the afternoon would look a lot different. Because most cases, I come home from work, I'm wore out, I'm exhausted. And as soon as I walk in that kitchen door, I look over in the corner and it's like that recliner is just illuminated. (laughs) It is, and everything in me, I'm like, yes, we're home. (laughs) But you know what? I sit down in that chair and I'm thinking, okay, what's for supper? And you know what's bad? I even get the kids involved. Cooper, go get me some water. Yeah, y'all all laughing at me now. We're, you, look, I'm about to, we're about to lay everything out there. So y'all really gonna be praying for me after today's over. But the reality is, I don't think that's at all how Jesus would come home. Jesus is not gonna walk in the house in the evening because he's worn out and say, okay, now it's time for y'all to serve me. Look, aren't you so thankful that Jesus didn't live his life that way? For 33 years, he exhausted himself. And when he was on that last run carrying the cross, he was worn out. He was ready to give up. And aren't you thankful that he didn't look around and go, okay, now who can serve me? I've been doing this for 33 years, I'm done. But Jesus let his love for you compel him to the hill. 
He let his love for you keep him going. And so the question is, is are we walking in our doors in the afternoon and saying, you know what? I don't care if I'm worn out, but God has called me to serve my wife. God has called me to serve my kids and it doesn't matter how worn out I am. Now look, I get it. That is gonna take discipline. Because look, I don't expect you to open the kitchen door when you get home and go, woohoo, I get to serve the old family tonight. <laughs> no, there ain't nobody in this room feels that way. You're gonna get out of your car and you're gonna go, man, I don't even wanna go in this house. These kids are loud, they're obnoxious, and my wife's ordering pizza again. <laughs> See, she pointed at me just, whoo, so I'm telling y'all, y'all gonna be praying. But see, but church, again, that's part about praying for your family. Before you get out of that truck, before you get out of that car, you sit there and say, God, give me the strength to be as disciplined as you were. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm worn out. But God, you have called me to love the people that are behind that door. Because that's what you did for me. You didn't throw in the towel. You kept on when it was hard. You kept on when it was difficult. But the question is, are we loving our families the way that he loves you? Because men, when we understand the love of Christ, when we understand how much he loves us, it makes it a little bit easier to submit to the authority of this word. When we recognize his love, when we recognize that grace, when we recognize that mercy, it's not quite as hard to follow him as our authoritative figure. Because if you remember the example of authority, anytime somebody was in authority, it was the protection and the blessings of those under the authority. So we submit to the authority of God for his protection, for his love, for his healing, and praise God for salvation. And we don't have an issue submitting to that. Yes, it's gonna be a battle. Yes, it's gonna be a struggle. But when we understand that love and that grace and that mercy, we wanna submit to that. We want to follow that. We want to live for him. Which transitions us to wives, be subject to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. I know fam, finally, men, you're going, oh, I can, now it's her turn. No. No, it's not. Because as a man, we follow Christ in response to understanding his love for us. Here's the question that I wanna ask the men, not the women. Is your wife's submission a reflection of how you love her? Is your wife's submission a reflection of how you love her? 
And what I mean by that is, man, I dare you to go home tomorrow afternoon and you walk in that door and you ask her how to serve her. You ask her how to help her. You ask her what you can do with the kids. You love her. You give yourself up for her. And I can almost guarantee you it's gonna be a little bit easier for her to follow you as a leader because she understands you love her. Because you, she understands that you're willing to lay yourself down for her. And so then all of a sudden, our response to understanding Christ is to follow him. Her understanding of the love that we have for her equates in her following our lead. So are we loving her the way Jesus loves us? Remember that authority is always for the blessing and the protection of those under it. Men, your position of authority is to bless and protect. A real man doesn't throw his weight around. A real man lays his life down. A real man lives out the heart of God and it's tough. And we all fail every day, or I do. We fail every day. So we see that Paul has given us instruction. It all begins with the husband loving your wife, but then he goes on to tell us something not to do. He says, don't be embittered against her. Don't be bitter towards her. Don't be angry with her when she makes mistakes. Don't be angry with her. Don't let it settle when she doesn't meet the expectations that you may have in your mind for her. Because the reality is, is all the enemy wants to do is to plant that root or that seed of bitterness because bitterness can poison the relationship. Bitterness will poison the relationship. And there's a reason that we read in the scriptures, don't let the sun set on your anger. How many of you, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, how many of you have let the sun set on your anger? I'll be the one here that says, me. That root has been planted of anger, of bitterness. Guess what happens overnight? That root grows. You wake up the next morning and you're even more mad than you were than when you went to bed. It's because the word says, you better kill that root before you go to sleep. Don't let it grow. Don't give the enemy the opportunity to poison the relationship that God has created to be a reflection of him. Don't let it happen. Don't be embittered against her. Aren't you thankful that Jesus isn't embittered against you? What if Jesus was bitter towards you every time you failed? What if Jesus turned his back in the bed on you every night you messed up? What if Jesus went and slept on the couch every night you failed him? To love her like Christ loves you is to forgive, to let it go, 
Cast the sin as far as the east is from the west. Now look, here's where we miss it. Or I'm saying we, and I'm talking about me and my wife. A lot of times when we go into this whole forgiveness thing, what it turns into is an opportunity to prove who was right and who was wrong. Okay, y'all laugh. That means y'all do it too. Because we can't ever just say, I'm sorry. I messed up and that's it. And she's laughing right now because she knows I'm sorry, but here's why I said what I said. <laughs> or I'm sorry that you took it that way. <laughs> Y'all all done that one. But instead, it says Jesus throws it over here and over there. But do you know what we're guilty of? We'll throw it over here, but we'll throw it this way, but then we tuck it in the back pocket. And we'll say, you know what? I'm gonna use that one later. I'm gonna remember it. Don't let the root grow. You forgive. You forgive. And that's exactly what Jason preached two weeks ago. If we were to take Colossians chapter three, verses, I think it was 12 through 14. What if we applied this to our marriage? So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on, there's the discipline part. You've got to wake up. You've got to get ready for you go in your house after you get off work. You've got to put on a heart of compassion. You've got to put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. What if we applied just that to our marriages? What if we applied just that to our home? You see, we're putting on the characteristics of Christ. And when we're putting those things on, we're reflecting who he is. And our family operates that way. But you see, men, when we love like Jesus loves, when we're doing what God has called us to do, it's pleasing to the Lord. It's simple. It's pleasing to God when we're obedient to what his word says. And that is what it's talking about. This, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Men, women, and children, we're all called to obedience. We're all called to obedience. And that's what he says there. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Wives, be subject to your husband because it pleases the Lord. And then the last thing we read that it talks about being fitting to the Lord is in verse 20. Now, moms and dad, this is where you get excited. This is where you get happy. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents. I'm surprised I'm not hearing amens. Amen. Praise God, we got three. Y'all got the super spiritual kids, I'm sure. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. In all things is very, very important there. The reason that Paul writes, be obedient to your parents in all things is because children, here's what I want you to hear. Teenagers, young ones, whatever. There is going to be days that you don't wanna be obedient to mom or dad. 
There's going to be days that you don't want to do what they're telling you to do. There's gonna be days that you don't feel like doing what they're telling you to do. And so while we can get happy as that as parents, while we can say, yeah, child, whatever I tell you to do, it goes, even when you don't want to. But here's where everything falls back on the mom and the dad. Dads and moms, are your children seeing you be disciplined and doing things that you don't wanna do? Are your children seeing you exemplify obedience to the scripture on the days that you don't feel like it? Dads, are you loving your wife on the days that you don't feel like it? You're saying, are you, Brian, are you really saying there's days you don't feel like loving her? Yeah. I love you, Chelsea. Today's not one of them, honey. You're easy to love today. See, I mess up all, praise God. But there's gonna be days that I'm called to love her on the days that I don't feel like it. And usually it has nothing to do with her. It has to do with the day was terrible at work. It has to do with my kids. It has to do with other situations, but the enemy wants to turn me and her against each other. And so dads are our children seeing us love our wives even on the days we don't want to. Wives, are our children seeing you be submissive to your husband's leaderships on the days that you don't feel like it? Because there's gonna be days that you don't wanna listen to him. There's gonna be days that you don't wanna follow him. There's gonna be days that you think he has no brains at all. But the reality is, if your children are watching you be obedient in days that you don't want to, it's gonna give them the strength and the understanding that they can be obedient on days that they don't want to. Are they seeing you exemplify that for them? But you see the eye-opening part for the men, the eye-opening part for me is that when I look at it that way, I really understand the weight that comes with the authority that God has entrusted me with because it all starts with how daddy loves. It all starts with how daddy loves. My wife being subject to me, my children obeying me, it all goes back to what am I showing them? Am I being disciplined in what God has called me to do? But then it ends with Paul telling us exactly how not to love our children. He says, don't exasperate your children. What he's saying there is don't provoke them there's some, I know that, that is written, it says fathers do not exasperate, but in some contexts, in some versions, it actually says parents there again. So I believe that this could be for the moms and the dads both together, that we're called not to exasperate our children, which means 
that we're called to not provoke them. We're called not to stimulate them to anger. We're called not to stir them up to resentment. Now I know that that's a whole message in and of itself. Cause I can say that when I started digging into that, it broke my heart because I see where I fell as a dad. I see where I fell as a father. And so while we could preach a whole message around that, I wanna give you just some examples that I found this week that sort of exemplify what it means to don't exasperate your children. It says there, don't show favoritism. Don't depreciate their worth. Don't set unrealistic goals. We gotta be careful with that. We've gotta be careful that we don't try to achieve goals that we set for ourselves as adults through our kids. Don't set unrealistic goals. Don't fail to show affection. Make sure you're providing for their needs. Don't give them too much freedom. And don't give them destructive criticism. Now I'll share a, an example right here that really, I really had no intentions of sharing this because it really shows some of my weaknesses. As, as many of you know, I love to cut grass. That's kind of my checkout time. And so I usually cut yards and, and thank goodness my boys are getting to the age now where they get to help me. Praise God. I don't have to weed eater or edge. They do it all. But it always happens in the, if something's gonna tear up, it always tears up when you're almost done. It'd make it easier if it just did it when it started. And so as last week, me and the boys were cutting grass and we were at the last stop and if you've seen Cooper, you know, my, my, he's one of the twins and he's about this big. He says, daddy, I don't think I'm ever gonna grow. I said, Cooper, it's fine. But his responsibility is the edger. And if you know anything about an edger, the edgers is taller than he is, but he loves doing it. And so about three yards prior to the last one, he says, daddy, this edger's hurting my hands. And so, you know, as a loving father, you know what I told him? Suck it up. <laughs> We're almost done. Get over it. So we pull up and we get out of the truck and he says, Daddy, I really don't think I can edge. My hands hurt too bad. So, you know, in the compassion and the patience that I have as a father, I go back there and I jerk the edger off the rack and I decide I'm gonna fix it. Guess what? I destroyed it. <laughs> There were springs flying everywhere. There's bolts everywhere. And $171 later, I had to have somebody fix it. And so in my anger, I'm mad because I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to be finished. And I'm sitting there and I'm sweating. It's 94 degrees and I'm burning up. I'm ready to be done. And little Cooper's sitting beside me and he's trying to hold it. I'm jerking it around, you know, real patient. I'm jerking it because I can't get things to go in right places. And then I said, Cooper, you know this is your fault. If you hadn't started whining, we would have just finished the yard. Y'all remember, I've been studying this all week. 
That was that destructive criticism that I'm warned against as a father. And my little 12 year old boy walks over and he sits on the bumper of my truck because daddy had hurt him. And so as I threw the edger in the trailer, I got on my lawnmower and I left and the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of me and he said, is that how I love you? You see, I blamed everything on him. I took my anger and my frustration out on my, my boy who thinks I hung the moon. And so we get back in the truck and I reached over and I grabbed his little hand and I said, buddy, I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I loved you like that. But the beauty of a child, he leans over and he says, daddy, it's okay. <laughs> and he lays his head right on my shoulder. But church, I failed him. I exasperated my child. I drove him to anger. And you know what I didn't even realize? He was overheated and dehydrated at the time. He was sick, but he wouldn't tell me because I had just told him to suck it up, to man up. And so we got in the truck and he says, Daddy, I didn't tell you, but I didn't feel real good. But you see the way I treated him he didn't think that he had the platform to tell his daddy he was hurting. But aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't love us that way? That there's never a platform that we don't have to go to the Father to tell him we're hurting, to tell him we're sick, to tell him we're lonely, to tell him we're hurt. So are we loving our children the way that Christ loves us? Because if we're not, do you see what Paul says? He says they will lose heart. Do you know what the weight of losing heart means? It means that they will give up on themselves. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be a father who's to blame for my child giving up on themselves. Yes, I'm going to discipline them. Yes, I'm going to correct them but I've got to do it the way that God has instructed me to do it. I've got to meet them where they're at. I don't want my kids to give up on themselves. I don't want my wife to give up on herself. But what we are in need of is we are in need of men who are gonna stand and say, even when it hurts, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to keep fighting for my home. I'm gonna keep loving my wife the way that Christ loves me. I'm gonna keep loving my children the way that Christ loves me and I'm not gonna stop. That's how we protect though. That's why God has placed you in authority. That's why God has placed you where he's placed you because he's entrusting you to lead. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, 
one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.